Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. The sermon text is the epistle reading. Maybe seated. Quite the red out today. I almost tempted to take a selfie. And probably shouldn't. In the name of Jesus. Up front, let me just uh, say this. Uh, this may be the most unreformation sermon you've ever heard. But it's a sermon we need to hear. Pastor, how can you say that? Well, you're going to find out. Ready or not, here we go. Early on, Marty Luther wore a mask, but, but that was an unbearable task which left him standing before holy God, naked and vulnerable, full of shame and blame. No hiding Marty's emotional, spiritual, psychological pain and drain. No cardboard saint, no airbrushing his life on Facebook. No walking around, saying, I gots it all together. I have all the answers. None of that. None of that from Marty Luther. Marty Luther was a real and raw saint and sinner, Christian. He was the real deal. Marty Luther did not hide anything. He was an open book. He shared the darkest parts of his life with his family and friends, and he shared the darkest parts of his life with the entire world, thanks to Gutenberg, thanks to the uh, printing press. Good old Marty Luther was open about his struggles, especially the inner turmoil that Marty had while a monk in the monastery before his great Reformation discovery that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ's finished work alone. I'm going to let Marty Luther speak for himself, okay? Marty writes, Though I lived as a monk, without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God, with an extremely disturbed conscience. I could not believe that he was placated by my satisfaction. I did not love, yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners and secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmuring greatly, I was angry with God. Thus I raged with a fierce and troubled conscience. In the monastery, Marty Luther wore a mask, a monk mask. Now, if it were possible for a monk to make it to heaven by his monkery, which is not possible, by the way, not possible, but if it were possible, Marty Luther is the guy. He's the guy. He out-monked everyone. But he had no P-E-A-C-E, -E, peace. No peace, no certainty. Why? Why no peace? Why no certainty? Because he could not fool the all-seeing, all-knowing God. 
even with, with, with all of his fasting, with all of his self-flagellating, with all of his meditating, worshiping, praying, almsgiving, not enough. It could never be enough. Marty Luther stood before this righteous, holy God, naked and vulnerable, full of blame and shame, and he shook his fist at God, saying, God, you know the real Marty. You know the true self. This mask I'm wearing, well, it's see-through for you. You see all the dark nook and crannies in my heart. How embarrassing. How embarrassing, God. Seriously. How can you love me when you know me, the real me, the true me, the dirty, defiled me? You must hate me. You must hate me, God. How can you not hate me? Well, I hate you. I do. I hate you. I hate you because you have set sinners up to fail. There is no way that we can do anything to stand before you holy, righteous, blameless. All of this is going to end with you just walking away, God, abandoning me, leaving me all alone to die forever. How can it be any other way? This is not an isolated experience. Like uh, good old Marty Luther. We wear masks because we don't want the worst parts of our lives discoverable, but the law of God strips us and leaves us standing before holy God, naked and vulnerable, full of blame and shame. Dear friends, we have been wearing masks long before COVID-19. <laughs> yes, we have. We have been wearing masks a long time. See, what makes us afraid is that if people find out the real me, the true me, those people are going to ridicule me, be repulsed by me, and finally, reject me. Exposing our real stresses and messes, our real tears and fears, our real feelings and emotions, our real faults and failures, our real questions and ignorance, is so scary. It's so scary because it opens us up to the possibility that people will loathe us, laugh at us, and ultimately you'll just leave us. And so we spend so much time and energy covering up. Covering up the past that punishes and pummels us. Covering up the brokenness that beats us up, covering up the wounds that weary and worry us, covering up the weaknesses that wear us down. We try so hard to cover up these parts of our lives that we think if people saw them, they would ah! and run screaming for the hills, treating us like the bubonic plague, wanting nothing to do with us, washing their hands of us. And we have these masks. We do. We know the masks that we wear. They come with so many different names. The God won't give me more than I can handle mask. The 
I have this. I got this mask. The it's all good, it's all good mask. The I'm okay mask. The I have all of my ducks in a row mask. The I have no regrets mask. The I grin it and bear it mask. Say bye-bye. Bye-bye, say it with me, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Say bye-bye to those masks. Because Pastor Paul pulls off the great unmasking this morning with two simple verses. Romans 3, verses 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Now we may be able to fool the people around us, but uh, we can't fool God. Can't fool him. His law strips us and shreds every single one of our masks. Every one. Put in the shredder known as God's law. His holy ten commandments. We stand naked and vulnerable before holy God. Defenses down, out in the open, nowhere to hide. Full of shame. We don't dare look up at God because, oh, what, what are we going to see in that face? Disappointment. Disappointment. Disgust. And so we hang our head low because of all of this shame. And we wince. And we clench our jaws. Bracing. Bracing for quite the pummeling and pounding, the scowling and scolding. I mean, we're going to get a spanking, right? <laughs> That's what we deserve. And once God is done with us behind the woodshed, he's just going to throw us away, toss us out like a piece of trash, because that's what we feel like, garbage. How, how can God stay with someone like me now that I know he knows all the worst parts of me? He must hate me. It can't be any other way. I must be kindling for his wrath. That's all I'm good for. That's where I'm going, the burn pile. Up in smoke. That's my future. Judgment, hell, condemnation. That's all there is for me. That's what Marty Luther thought. But then the surprise of all surprises... God does not leave us in our vulnerability all alone with no one to atone. For Jesus comes to us, vulnerable, as a baby, in a stable. And he grows up and he goes to the cross and experiences there shame unimaginable. And thereby sets us free to be vulnerable. God knows what it's like to be vulnerable. He knows all about it firsthand. Jesus took from the womb of the Virgin Mary flesh and blood, and that opens himself up 
to ridicule, rejection, and death. And this is gospelly good news for all of us, as Pastor Paul tells us in Romans 3. But now, but now, this but now, this is like in gold letters, beautiful. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Martin Luther, when he was up to his monkery, thought that righteousness of God, that expression, was all about this like moral standard that he had to achieve, that he had to accomplish. But no matter how much Luther stretched and got on his tippy toes, no matter how much blood, sweat, and tears Luther poured out, it was never enough. Never enough. Marty Luther's enoughness could never suffice, but then, but then, the great Holy Spirited aha, Reformation discovery moment, again, I'll let Marty Luther speak for himself, I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith, and this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive righteousness with which merciful God justifies us by faith. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. The righteousness of God, the enoughness of God, isn't what Luther did for God, but what Luther received from God. This righteousness of God, this enoughness of God, isn't even a what. It's a, it's a who, a who, 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 a person, namely Jesus. It's okay. You can say the name Jesus, it's okay. This church. Jesus. Jesus is God's enoughness who pours into the demands of the law his perfect life, completing it. Who is faithful, obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Who is found on the Friday we call good, more naked and vulnerable than we will ever be. Yes, Jesus covers himself with our shame and blame at the tree of Calvary so that he can cover us with his bleeding love, his bleeding love that assures us that we have a gracious God above. Dear friends, our God, Jesus the Christ, doesn't avoid shame. He seeks shame out. And he saddles himself with our shame. Throughout his entire ministry, Jesus is loading himself with the sin of the world. Loading himself with every single reason for him to roast us for our rebellion and high treason. Loading himself with with every 
thought that we dare not share because we think it will cause quite a scare. Loading himself with every word that we can't take back. And we think, now there's no coming back. Loading himself with every deed that made a loved one hurt, and now we feel like dirt. Yes, all of your shame, all the things that make you blush, all the reasons you feel not enough, less than, like a loser, ruined, all of that Jesus nailed to Calvary's tree. Now, dear friends, you are redeemed. Rescued and released from all your shame and blame. Don't take my word for it. Take Pastor Paul's word for it. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Propitiation. Is that a word that you woke up using today? Anyone? Anyone? Any theological nerds? Okay, okay. This is not really a word we use every day, but it's a word I want us all leaving, finding great comfort in using every day. It's a, it's a word that actually came up at our men's Bible study this, uh, this last Wednesday morning. Pastor, what does propitiation mean? I was caught flat-footed. <laughs> propitiation, dear friends. When you hear that word, when you think of that word, think covering. Think covering. Propitiation has to do with the mercy seat, where in the OT, the Old Testament, God covered all that separated him from his people. Every year on the Day of Atonement, blood sprinkled the mercy seat. And that blood, that precious blood, preached quite a sermon saying, your blame and shame, gone. Removed from you. You are released from all your blame and shame. The substitute has taken the blame for you. The substitute's blood covers all of your shame. Behold, atonement. Atonement between God and man. At one mint. At one minute, between God and man, God and sinner, God and you, God is one with you. God is reconciled to you, restored, righted. Everything wrong with you, righted. Now God doesn't see anything wrong in you or with you. He is delighted in you. He dotes over you. You are the apple of his eye. He absolutely adores you. He loves you. You belong to him. You're his. Covered. You are enough. God, of 
course, passed over all these sins in the OT, the Old Testament, because the blood of beast pointed to the blood of the lamb, the blood of Jesus, the very Jesus who would shed his blood at Calvary, the very Jesus whose blood would, would cover the entire world. What is so beautiful, dear friends, is that Pastor Paul here in Romans 3 is telling us that the cross of Christ is the cosmic mercy seat. It's where Jesus covered every sinner in every time and place. You are covered. You're covered. So am I. We are covered in the bleeding love of Jesus. The bleeding love of Jesus that washes over us at the font. The bleeding love of Jesus that is poured into our mouths at the altar, the Lord's Supper. And this bleeding love of Jesus preaches the most amazing sermon. There's atonement for you at one mint for you. God is stuck to you, and you are stuck to God together forever. Nothing you say, nothing you do can actually change that. He is with you for the long haul. He loves you. He delights in you. He dotes over you. You are his. You are covered. You are enough. Dear friends, all that we try to cover with our mask has already been covered in the bleeding love of Jesus. So, you know, let's stop hiding. Let's stop hiding. We can't, we can't win hide-and-seek with God anymore, okay? <laughs> you lose every time. And I know shame wants nothing more than for us to believe that we need masks. That we need to, you know, cover up the worst parts of our lives. That we need to deal with our problems all by our lonesome. Because if we share our weaknesses, if we share those really awful parts of ourselves, if we share our wounds... People will just reject us, be repulsed by us, want nothing to do with us. All a lie! All a lie, dear friends. It is. We know that whatever we bring out into the open can't actually ruin us. Because it couldn't ruin Jesus. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Jesus lives. We live too. We live now and always. So let's be bold. Let's be courageous. Let's dare greatly. Let's hang up our mask on the nails of the tree of Calvary. And hang out here in this nurturing community where we can share our vulnerability and begin healing for you and for me. Deep down, we all want to know that if we get real, the true self won't be met with a judgy, judgy, 
or a cold shoulder or a face that looks like the guy just sucked on a bunch of lemons. You heard the good news, dear friends. That kind of stuff, no, no, it's not here. It ought not to be. Listen to Pastor Paul, Romans 3. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. To put a spin on Pastor Paul's words here, for we hold that a person is enough by faith apart from mask of our own making. That's the Reformation in a nutshell. Marty Luther discovered he didn't have to wear any more mask. Wearing masks actually got him in trouble. I mean, that monk mask made life miserable, hellaciously miserable for Marty Luther. He got so angry with God, shaking his fist at God, because he could never be or do enough. Well, get this. Enoughness isn't Luther's business. Enoughness is God's business. That's his work. It's his cup of tea. He holds a monopoly, dear friends, with this enoughness market. See, Marty Luther discovered that this gracious God saw all of his faults and failures, all of his weaknesses and wounds, all of his warts and pimples, all of his frustration and ignorance, all of his darkness and wickedness, all of his sins and trespasses, all of his jealousy and greed. And this God still loved him, adored him, was absolutely tickled with him, all because of Jesus, who was Luther's enoughness. Now that is true also for you and for me, dear friends. We are covered. We don't have to cover up. We're already covered. We're covered by the bleeding love of Jesus. So now, dear friends, we get to uh, take these masks and put them on the tree of Calvary. And we get to be real with one another. We get to bear our hearts to one another. We get to share the bumps and the bruises in our lives that, you know, carry the greatest shame and blame. And we get to do that without fear. What we will discover, dear friends, is what Marty Luther discovered, is that when we share those worst parts of our lives with one another, God doesn't freak out. And your brothers and your sisters don't freak out. God doesn't leave. Far from it. God, the Lord Jesus, and your brothers and your sisters are with you, and they're with me. Here in this nurturing community, this congregation, where Reformation is still going on in the year 2022. As we share our lives together, dear friends, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the Lord Jesus is reforming us into the very people he desires us and destined us to be, namely, his people who are loved, accepted, known, 
seen, embraced. Deep down, isn't that what we're all longing for? Come soon, Lord Jesus. Amen.